0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Well, good morning. morning. I want to welcome those watching us online and certainly those of you here on our Benicia campus. And I also want to welcome our Vallejo campus. I was with you guys last week live, and it was great to be with you. I'm glad you're back with us again this morning. We are in this series, we're actually coming close to the end of our series. In the Gospel of John. And there's there's a very, very popular um, TV series that's on right now called Game of Thrones. Anybody ever heard of it? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have never seen it. I got to be honest. But from what I understand, it's all about this iron throne of the seven kingdoms and all of these different kingdoms are fighting for and vying for The throne, to be able to be dominant, to to dominate, to to have power, to control the others. And they're either fighting for the throne or they're trying to get away from the throne. But it's this classic struggle for dominance and power and, and control. And you know, that has been around with us. And I think one of the reasons that series is so popular is because that has been around with us since creation. This struggle for power and for control and for dominance and it not only happens in the kingdoms of this world, it actually happens in our own lives. There is this kind of battle going on between the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God in each of our lives. And as we're coming to the end of this series in the Gospel of John, we're looking today at the trial that Jesus had before Pilate. And, and John's gospel is unique in this way that it gives us a little bit more detail about the conversation that went on as Jesus and Pilate squared off. And I want you to listen to it, and then we're going to take a look at what's going on behind the scenes. It's in John chapter 19. And, uh, excuse me, we're going to begin in eight, chapter 18, verse 33. It carries over into chapter 19. Um, the the uh, leaders of the Jewish people, the, the religious leaders, have brought Jesus now to Pilate. They've held their own trial. Now they bring him to Pilate because they don't have the authority to put someone to death. They don't have the death penalty as an option for them. That has to happen from the Roman government. So that's why they're bringing them Pilate. And in verse 33, after Pilate has dismissed the people and gone back inside, it says, Pilate went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders, but now my kingdom is from another place. So you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release this king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. So Pilate's kind of caught in the middle. So he takes Jesus back and once more, beginning in chapter 19, verse four, once more Pilate came out and said to the Jews, gathered there, look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. And as soon as the chief priests and the other officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Pilate heard this. He was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. "'Where do you come from?' he asked Jesus. "'But Jesus gave him no answer. "'Do you refuse to speak to me?' Pilate said. "'Don't you realize I have the power "'either to free you or to crucify you?' "'Jesus answered, "'You'd have no power over me "'if it were not given to you from above. "'Therefore, the one who handed me over to you "'is guilty of a greater sin.' "'And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, "'but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, "'If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar.' Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this. He brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. And it was the day of preparation of Passover. And it was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asks? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. So finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. It's kind of a lengthy interrogation that goes on there. But as you go through it and as we read through it together, you begin to realize it's not so much Jesus that's on trial here. It's really Pilate. Pilate is caught. And his decision is going to determine what's going to happen here. And he can't do what he wants to do. He's the one that's really on trial. He's the one that's been pushed into the corner. And and it really goes down to this whole idea of game of thrones. Who's going to be in control? We can sing about and we can pray for your kingdom come, your will be done. We, We can say yours is the kingdom, yours is the power. But when it comes right down to it for you and for me, the question is, who's going to rule your life? Who's going to sit on that throne? Now, if you are a Christ follower, if you have put your faith in Him, that is a very profound question that you and He and I have to answer every single day of our lives. But if you're here today and you don't consider yourself particularly religious, you don't consider yourself a Christian, um, maybe you're just here kind of checking it out and wanting to know, this is a question for you as well, and I'm glad you're here today because that's what we're going to be talking about is who's going to rule in your life? Because if Jesus is going to rule in your life, there are some very profound implications to that. He is going to change everything. And the first thing that's going to happen is that when you allow him to rule in your life, he will challenge your preconceptions. He will challenge the way that you look at life. Because all of us live with a set of preconceptions. It's kind of our version of how the world works and how life ought to be run and how I'm going to live my life. And it's pretty much lived through my own set of lenses. And we all have that. And everybody's set of lenses is just a little bit different. And so we all look at the world and we look at life through that set of lenses. And what you may see and what might be important to you is not the same thing that is important to me. But we all have them. It's what, one of the things that makes us different. I, I came across this a number of years ago. Maybe you've already heard this. It's a excerpts from the diary of a dog versus excerpts from the diary of a cat. <laughs> you heard this one before? Excerpts from, excerpts from the diary of a dog. 8 o'clock a.m., dog food, my favorite thing, 9.30 a.m., a car ride, my favorite thing, 9.40 a.m., walk in the park, my favorite thing, 10.30, got rubbed and petted, oh, my favorite thing, 12 p.m., lunch, my favorite thing, 1 p.m., played in the yard, my favorite thing, 3 p.m., wagged my tail, my favorite thing, 5 p.m., milk bones, my favorite thing. 7 p.m., got to play ball, my favorite thing. 8 p.m., wow, watch TV with the people, my favorite thing. 11 p.m., sleeping on the bed, my favorite thing. Excerpts from the diary of a cat. Day 983 of my captivity. My captors continue to taunt me with bizarre little dangling objects. The only thing that keeps me going is my dream of escape. <laughs> completely different circumstances, completely similar circumstances, completely different way of looking at them. You and I have this set of lenses, this set of preconceptions by which we view the world, by which we view life and it's it's kind of the operating system that we we just run by in background. And we all have that. And each of us is responsible for our own mindset, our own worldview. And Jesus challenges Pilate on that. When when Pilate brings him in, he says, are you king of the Jews? This is what Jesus said. Is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? In other words, you're going to have to make up your mind for yourself. This is going to be your decision This is going to be up to you. You are going to have to decide. You're going to have to make up your own mind. And that's true for every one of us. When it comes to Jesus, we're going to have to make up our own mind about this. No one can force you to make that decision. You have to make it for yourself. But know this. When you decide that he truly is king, then that's going to change your whole mindset. It's going to change the way that you look at life. See, I want to live right, but I'm not above fudging on the expense account maybe, if it's to my benefit. I might want to to live rightly, but if exaggerating on my resume might get me the job, I'm going to do that. Or cheat on a test, or fudge on those deductions on my income tax. See, we all want to live right, we know what the right way is to live, But we are willing to bend the rules just a little bit. And it all has to do with our preconceptions and the way that we look at life. And Jesus comes along and he says, That is not how life works. In fact, no matter how we would go about doing life on our own terms, it is probably 180 degrees off from Jesus' kingdom. Because Jesus comes along and he says things like, Love your enemies. Well, I thought it was just love your neighbor. No, love your enemies someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek to them also. If someone forces you to go one mile, then go the second mile freely. And on and on and on. See, Pilate thinks he knows how life works. And it's all about looking out for number one. And that's pretty much the way most every one of us in this room live our life. What works for me? And Jesus talks about this kingdom and he says, so you are a king. And he says, the reason that I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, what is truth? And then he went out. He's not interested in the truth. He knows the truth. This is how life works. You look out for number one. You grab control when you can. You manipulate. You weasel your way. You work things out so it all works out for you. That's how life works. And Jesus says, no, that's not how life works. Not in my kingdom. Pilate doesn't want to hear it because he's got it all figured out. He knows how life works. He is not interested in truth. He's interested in self-preservation. See, as governor of this area, his primary job, his number one job from the Roman government back in Rome to him was keep the peace. At all costs, keep the peace. We don't want any uprisings. We don't want any disturbances. We don't want any riots or demonstrations or all that stuff. We just want you to keep a lid on things. And the only reason that Pilate is in Jerusalem at this time is because it was during the Jewish feasts that things tended to get out of hand. Normally, he was in Caesarea, but he would come to Jerusalem to be there for the feast just to keep a lid on things. And Jesus comes along, and he's brought before Pilate, and Pilate knows, oh, man, everything's about to explode on me. He thought he knew how life works. He thought he knew how to make it work and to advance in this world. And Jesus stands in dark contrast to that. And he does for you and for me. Because here's the thing. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When he says, this is how life works. Then if he is going to rule in my life, and he is truly going to be king. Not just what I pray about or what I sing about, but what I actually live. Then that means that I have to believe that what he says about life is right and true. And if I have disagreement, that I'm the one that's wrong because he is the truth. Remember what John wrote in the very beginning of the gospel. He wrote these words. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And he is both. And they're not in opposition to each other. Truth is God's grace given to us. And his grace does not negate the truth. So, When he comes and he challenges my preconceptions and he challenges your worldview and he challenges the way that you look at and go about life, then you and I have to make a decision. Is he true and right or am I going to do it my way? Because if he is true and if he is right, then I must trust in and live with the idea that he is right on this and I am wrong and my job is to obey. And it's not, it's not in opposition to his grace. That is his grace. He's telling you this is how life really is supposed to work. And he's gonna challenge your preconceptions. Next thing he's gonna do is he's gonna threaten your autonomy. Because it's not just about obedience. It has to be with who's really going to be in control of your life. See, here's the deal. When it comes to thrones, there is only room for one. A throne is not a sofa. A throne is not a couch. A throne doesn't get four people to sit together. A throne has place for one. And if he's gonna be the king and he's gonna sit on that throne, then I have to step down. Not in grudging obedience for fear that he's gonna punish me in some way if I step out of line, but in reverent surrender, trusting Surrender. That he really is good and he knows what is right. And I'm going to have to decide, is he going to truly rule my life? Because if he is, then it's not just about grudging obedience. It is about full, complete surrender. And that means I have to give up control. John orper puts it this way. There is no way for a human being to come to God that doesn't involve surrender. Absolutely does. I have to step down off of that throne. That means I give up control. That means I now live my life in a way that honors him. In my relationships, with my finances, with every aspect of my life, in my family, as a father, as a husband, in your life, and whatever, wherever you are at, it means willful, trusting surrender that he really is good and he knows what's best and I will trust him and I will give up control. Now, that is not an easy thing to do because I don't know about you but I like being in control. I want to do things my way. We have, um, on, in our car, we have one of those navigational systems. And a couple of months ago, um, we were traveling somewhere, and, and, I, and I knew the general area where it was, but I didn't know the, the actual streets once we got off the exit. So, so we punched in the address on the navigation system. When we were driving in, we drove into the city, and um, we were driving on the freeway, and the navigation says, exit this next exit. But I knew well and good that the, next egg, the, the right exit was two exits down. It was still five miles down the road. And I said, no, no, that's wrong. I know the, ne- the, ex- the exit that I take is, is the two miles da- five miles down. It's the further one down. But the navigation system, take this exit, take next exit, take next exit. I said, I'm not gonna take the next exit. I know where I'm gonna exit. So I just kept going straight. And the reason they had said, take this exit was because there was a traffic jam. There had been an accident. And I sat in traffic for a half an hour <laughs> because I knew what was best. God will give you directions for your life. And he will say, take this exit. Trust me, take this exit. Just take the exit. No, no, no. I know the right exit. I'm going to go my way. I know what I'm doing here. I got it. I, no, no. Take the next exit. And then I end up in a traffic jam. And you and I end up in all kinds of messes because we thought we knew better. If, if, if Jesus is going to rule on the throne of my life and your life, he's going to challenge those preconceptions. And he's going to want full authority. The truth is our sense of control is really an illusion. You and I do not have nearly the control over our lives that we think that we do. We don't. And it only takes one crisis or one surprise out of the blue to help us realize, whoa. I have no control over this situation. And the truth is, we have very little control. We would like to think we do, but we don't. We don't, and that's why we must trust, and that's what surrender is all about. See, Pilate thinks he knows about authority, He thinks that he is in control. In fact, he says to Jesus, don't you know that I have the power to set you free or to crucify you? And Jesus says to him, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Now, Jesus knows, and Pilate knows as well. Remember, I told you, his job was to keep the peace. Well, see, Pilate had made a few mistakes in his rule. One was that when he took power and and came and oversaw that whole region, one of the things that he did, the first thing he did because he wanted to impress Caesar with how loyal he was, that he had the Roman eagle placed over the temple. Yeah, that did not go very well with the Jewish leaders. And there was a riot over the whole thing until he had to take the thing down. And then he made another another mistake. He wanted to build an aqueduct, but he didn't have the funds, so he raided the temple treasury to pay for the building of an aqueduct. Again, he did not make a whole lot of friends. He's got two strikes against him. Three strikes and you're out. He doesn't have near the power that he thinks he does, and deep down inside, he knows that's true. And when Jesus says to him, you'd have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. You don't, you're not empowered because you're so great. You're empowered because God allowed you to be in power. And it's a very tenuous power that you have right now. And that is true of every one of our lives. Pilate knows it. Jesus knows it. The crowd knows it. Verse 12. Jesus, Pilate tries to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar." They are reminding him, hey, your power is like hanging by a thread. If you mess this one up, oh, Caesar's coming down on you. You are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes, sin, opposes Caesar. Now, we would like to think that we are in control, But like I said, it only takes one crisis. It only takes one surprise to remind us that we are not. We think we know how life ought to work, and we want to live life the way that we want it, but we are just heading for a crash. We would like to think that we've got it all figured out, but deep down inside, every one of us knows every mistake and struggle that we have. And if we are honest with ourselves, we realize... We are not nearly as in control as we think we are, then Jesus will point that out. You would think, you would think that realizing that we don't really have control would move us in a direction toward him, that would move us in a direction towards surrender, because if I don't have control and I don't really know the future, then I need to trust someone who does. You would think so, but we still fight against it. We still fight against it. Religious leaders, this is very interesting to me. The religious leaders are willing, are willing to give their loyalty to Caesar, which is completely disloyalty to God for the sake of maintaining their own power and getting rid of this Jesus. When Pilate brings him out, he says, Shall I crucify your king? Listen to what chief priests said. They said, We have no king but Caesar. That would never come out of the mouths of a Jewish leader were they not fighting for their own control. That's what happens when kingdoms are in conflict. He's going to challenge your preconceptions. It's going to threaten your autonomy. But in all of that, he will absorb your guilt and your pain. See, Jesus does not assert his rule with the iron fist. He does not assert his rule with armies and legions. He asserts his rule through love and sacrifice. Because he comes to win our hearts. And rule of the heart cannot be forced. Rule of the heart can only come by the power of love. And so he comes. And on the cross, God reveals his heart and displays his own power. And it is a much greater power than armies and legions. It is the power of love. And, 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 and when Jesus goes to the cross and, and, and Pilate gives up and he says, I, have no, I find no basis for charge against him. It's your custom for me to release one prisoner at the time of Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? Or they shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. They would rather, they would rather have this insurrectionist released than see Jesus go free. And Jesus willingly accepts it. You see, if you remember all through his teachings through this gospel of John, he says things like, no one takes my life for me. I lay it down. I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. See, that's the kind of rule that he establishes. Yes, he's going to challenge your preconception. Yes, he's going to threaten your autonomy. But what he does in that is he does it through the power of love, compassionate, unchanging, life-giving power of love. And the one who seems to have all the power turns out has no power at all. Again, Violet says, I find no basis. It's the third time he said it. I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release this prisoner at the time of, June, of, of Passover. Do you want me to release this King of Jews? I find no basis. I find no basis. He is innocent. That's the declaration that he's making. He's finding him innocent, yet he turns him over. Finally, it says Pilate handed him over to be sacrificed, to be crucified. He finds him not guilty. This is the thing. He finds him not guilty, but he allows him to be executed. And and the one who was guilty, this Barabbas, gets set free. And that is exactly the picture of a self-sacrificial, compassionate love. Because in truth, that's what Jesus did for you and me. We are the guilty ones. And it is our guilt and our sin that has caused this breach, that has caused this separation, this alienation with God. And Jesus comes to bridge that gap, to to close the breach and to bring us back to him. And so the innocent goes to the cross and is executed in self-sacrificial love so that the guilty, you and me, go free. That is, it's the power of God's grace. It is the power of his love. And on the cross, God answered the problem of our sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the essence of the gospel message. And it will challenge your preconceptions. And it will threaten your autonomy. But it will also absorb the pain and the guilt of your sin. Again, John Ortberg. The cross was changed from the symbol of a, human, of a human empire's power into a symbol of the suffering love of God. It was changed from an expression of ultimate threat to an expression of ultimate hope. It came, in a sense to express the exact opposite of its original purpose. And the power of embraced sacrifice is greater than the power of coercion. See, you can trust his rule because he's revealed his heart. You can let go of those preconceptions of how the world works because he has shown you his love. You can surrender your autonomy because he has shown you you can trust him. Would you bow your heads with me. So let me ask you as we close. Who will rule your life? That is a question that you and I will have to answer every single day. In every single situation, when there is this battle of kingdoms that goes on, my way or God's way. My way or the way of the crowd. God's way or the ones who hold power over me. That, that, that comes down to an everyday decision, but it starts right here and now, and it gets affirmed every day from here. And maybe you're here today, both here in Benicia campus or at our Vallejo campus, and maybe there is something going on your life, and you know what God would have you do, but it's uncomfortable. And it's inconvenient. And it means you're going to have to surrender and obey. And you've been fighting this. God's been speaking to you about it today, this morning. He's speaking to you about that. And he's just saying, will you surrender? Will you trust me? Will you just obey and find and discover that I'm right? I love you. I know you. And I know what's best for you. And maybe you're here today and there's a very specific thing in which God is just simply saying, will you surrender? Will you step down off of that throne and let me take my rightful place? Will you let me be king and rule in your life? And if that's happening in your life, and, and I know it's a tough decision, and it's going to be even tougher to follow through on it. But if I could pray for you as we close, I'd love the opportunity to do that. Maybe it's not a specific situation. Maybe it's just a general rule of life that you've been living on your own, but you know the right way is God's way. And maybe just it's a general, God, I am letting go of the controls today. Whatever it might be, if that describes you in any way, and I could pray for you as we close. Would you just raise your hand? Just hold it up for a moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe for you it's a first-time decision. Maybe you've never really been confronted with this idea that my life needs to rest in the hands of someone greater than me. And yes, I've got this sin, I've got these failures, I've got these mistakes, I've got these struggles in my life, and I cannot, I cannot do these on my own. God, I do need you. I need not only your forgiveness, I need your power to live differently. And maybe for you, it's a first-time decision. I'm going to ask you the same thing. Would you just raise your hand and hold it up? And when you do, also look up, catch my eye, because I want to acknowledge you. I want to pray with you and pray for you. All right. Yeah. So let me just invite all of us to join in this prayer. God, you know our struggles... You know where we want to take control. You know where we want to do things our way. And, and Lord, you know and we know where that has led us in our rebellion, in our sin, in our failures, and in our struggle. We cannot change ourselves. We acknowledge that. Just by raising our hands today, we just said, God, I can't do this on my own. I need to surrender to you. So would you take me just the way that I am? with my sin, with my failures, with my mistakes, with my desire for control. And would you just forgive me? And would you now take control of my life? And tomorrow morning when I get up and I begin my day, would you remind me that you're in control and I am not? And would you help me learn to just trust in you? For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.